This episode is brought to you by HP. Whenever you do your best thinking, the HP Spectre X360 is ready when inspiration strikes. With power save for battery life and focus mode to multitask, you can do your best thinking whenever and wherever it happens. The HP Spectre X360 2-in-1 convertible PC with Windows 10 saves battery life for whenever an idea hits you. HP Spectre X360, a more thoughtful laptop. What is up, everybody, and welcome to MLB Morning Coffee. A happy July 1st to all of you. That means we are three full months into the baseball season, and I'm going to give you my 10 Thursday thoughts today. A reminder, we are brought to you by the Athletes Unfiltered Podcast Network, and we record at the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. I am going to be out of town starting this evening, which means that recordings may not happen again until next week. I'm going to end up in a hotel room with my parents for a family obligation, and they don't like it when I record, even if it's on my phone. So more than likely, you're not going to hear anything from me until Tuesday at the earliest. But if you do hear something from me before then, consider it a pleasant surprise. Since we last talked about eight or nine days ago, There has been a lot that has gone on in Major League Baseball. A lot of substance, no pun intended, in regards to the MLB crackdown on foreign substances on baseballs. And that's where we will start, although there are a couple of other stories that I believe are more pressing. And we're going to get to Trevor Bauer in just a moment. But first, I want to start off with Hector Santiago. Maybe there's something that can scrape the baseball and get extra movement, but it would appear that... Something was untoward in the glove of Hector Santiago, who can't believe it. We have our first culprit of the new system of checking pitchers. Hector Santiago has been thrown out of the ball game. That audio, courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago, Steve Stone and Jason Benetti, was the moment where Hector Santiago was thrown out of the ball game in Game 1 of the Mariners-White Sox doubleheader on Sunday. What I have to say to this is that Santiago, and we'll let you hear from Santiago in just a moment, but this is the first time where an umpire felt empowered to investigate further and then make a determination. Santiago was suspended for 10 games by Major League Baseball. He has appealed that suspension. It is more than likely going to be upheld, and I will explain why, but first I want you to hear the audio from Santiago himself on the moment when he got ejected. First two innings, nothing came up. Uh, third inning coming out of the game, I'm expecting him obviously to check me every inning. Um, I kind of joked around with him moving like if I was going to run away because uh, I know I wasn't using anything besides rosin, you know, what's what's given to us. Because going into this, once once it came up, I was just like, I'm going to use rosin. That's what, what that's what we got. I don't want this to be a big thing. I don't want this to happen to me. So, um, and he said he just felt some stuff sticky on the inside of the glove. Um so all I used was rosin. I mean, I used it on both sides, arm sweat, trying to keep that sweat from dripping down to the hands. Um, I mean, that's the only thing I, I, I used rosin. That's about it. Santiago seemingly was surprised because he thought that he was doing everything right and said that he was just using rosin and sweat. Now, the issue that home plate umpire Phil Cuzzy found is that the rosin was on his glove. And the rule that was instituted said that you cannot have any substances 
on your glove. So it could only be on your fingers. It could not be on the glove. So they feel that doctoring the glove or putting any substance on the glove is going to alter the baseball whenever the baseball is put in the glove. There is a part of me that wants to believe Hector Santiago that it was just rosin because I've lived in Chicago. I know what a June afternoon on the south side is like. It's very humid. It gets very hot. You sweat a lot. So it doesn't surprise me that the sweat blended in with the rosin to create some sort of sticky substance. Have you ever gone outside, you go for a run, you're drenched in sweat, and then you end up like getting an ice cream or something, and maybe you spill the ice cream on your arm a little bit? Or at least if you've got a cone. If you've got a cup, you probably aren't doing that. But if you get the ice cream involved with the sweat, it becomes sticky. Anything that you mix with sweat will at some point become sticky. So for Hector Santiago to use that as a defense, in my opinion, is completely legitimate. However, here's the problem that we have with the policy of checking these guys. Because while the glove was sent to New York... Major League Baseball does not feel like they have to investigate the glove any further because they have given full empowerment to the umpires in regards to this judgment. And that means that we have the Angel Hernandez's of the world and the Joe Wests and the C.B. Buckners, and in this case, the Phil Cuzzies, making this decision when they themselves may not actually know what the substance on the glove or on the ball or on the player's hand or arm is. These are not chemists. They're baseball umpires. They are not trained in the art of detecting certain substances or what these substances are or what their chemical balance is or the ingredients within them. They're paid to call balls and strikes, safer out, other calls on the field, fair or foul, what have you. They're not chemists. So for Major League Baseball to fully empower their umpires to make a judgment call on something that they, quite frankly, don't know that much about is ridiculous. It is once again Major League Baseball putting their foot in their mouth in regards to how to handle a problem. All right? Let the glove be sent to the Major League Baseball offices and let the people who know what these substances are and how to detect them determine whether or not those substances were either on the glove or on a baseball. That is the best, the most efficient, and the most effective way to do this, in my opinion. I think Hector Santiago is going to get jobbed here because if they actually go and investigate the glove, they'll determine that it was exactly what he said. Because at this point in the crackdown, this was almost a full week into the policy being implemented. Nobody would be dumb enough to try and cheat. And here's the thing, as you heard in the audio, that was after his third inning of work. So all of a sudden, after two innings, he's just going to say, well, they're not going to check me again or I'm going to get pulled from the game. Let's just lather it on up. I don't think he thinks like that. I don't think any Major League Baseball pitcher is thinking like that. And so I think that Hector Santiago is just quite simply a victim of circumstance. Yesterday, Britt Garoli and Katie String of The Athletic published a story in regards to a sexual assault and domestic violence allegation being put against Dodgers starter Trevor Bauer. The details of the story, which you can find on The Athletic, are extremely graphic, and I don't want to share them here. But after you read the story, 
you will more than likely determine that Trevor Bauer went way beyond the line, and what he did to this woman was in no way consensual. There's a lot that's still to unfold here, and I believe there's a chance that Bauer gets suspended. This is from Craig Calcaterra's Cup of Coffee newsletter yesterday. It's worth noting that Major League Baseball's domestic violence policy does not require either a criminal conviction or even a filing of charges for a player to be disciplined. I'll read you the first part of the story because I believe it gives the story a little bit better context. Warning, there are some uncomfortable words here. A domestic violence restraining order filed against Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer and executed on June 28th includes multiple graphic images from the woman who filed the request. The woman in the 67-page ex-part document said that Bauer assaulted her on two different occasions. Together, the woman said those two incidents, including Bauer punching her in the face, the vagina, the buttocks, sticking his fingers down her throat, and strangling her to the point where she lost consciousness multiple times. The alleged assaults described by the woman, which are extremely graphic in nature, happened during what she said began as consensual sexual encounters between the two. According to the woman's declaration attached to the request and obtained by The Athletic, she suffered injuries as a result of the second encounter, including two black eyes, a bloodied swollen lip, significant bruising and scratching to one side of her face. In the woman's declaration, signed under penalty of perjury of California state laws, she said that her medical notes state that she had, quote, significant head and facial trauma and that there were signs of bacillar skull fracture. We will continue to follow this story as it unfolds more, but after reading this, it is not only my opinion that Trevor Bauer is likely to be suspended. There's a good chance that after this all plays out, he could have jail time. When you read what happened here, this is criminal. And if what is being claimed is proven true in a court of law, and I truly believe that it is, Trevor Bauer's Major League Baseball career is over, and he's going to be trading in that Dodger blue for an orange jumpsuit. Adamas in the air, right center. Ball's hit well, Marisnik on the run, and it is up and out! It's a grand slam! First of the year for the Brewers, Willie Adamas again. He gives that one a ride, deep right field, we are tied! The Angels come all the way back. Grand salami time for Walshie, second home run of the game. The audio that you just heard, courtesy of Bally Sports Wisconsin and Bally Sports Southern California, are grand slams hit by Willie Adamas of the Brewers and Jared Walsh of the Angels. The grand slam that was hit by Adamas put the Brewers up 14-7 in the fourth inning. And I'll explain the significance of that. The grand slam that Walsh hit tied the game at 8 in the ninth inning, and that was off of Aroldis Chapman. First to the Brewers and Cubs. Here's why both of these games are significant and why we are talking about them right now. The Brewers trailed 7-0 after the top of the first inning. At the completion of four innings, they led 14-7. They are the first team in Major League Baseball history to trail by seven runs and lead by seven runs before the completion of four innings. 
They trailed 7 to nothing and they won 15 to 7. So they scored 15 unanswered runs. Their starter Aaron Ashby did not complete the first inning and I feel bad because Aaron is a friend of mine and somebody that I covered in the minor leagues and it was his major league debut. But the Brewers score a run in the bottom of the first, five in the bottom of the second, and they knock Cubs starter Jake Arrieta out of the game. And then they score eight in the bottom of the fourth inning, highlighted by that Willie Adamas grand slam, and they were already up three at the time. So the Brewers are the first team to ever trail by seven runs and then lead by seven runs within the first four innings of a ball game. Let's go to the Yankees and the Angels. Shohei Otani got the start for Los Angeles, and he didn't last the first inning. He gave up seven runs in the bottom of the first, and the Yankees led 7-2 after one inning. However, the Angels scored a run in the top of the second, a run in the top of the fifth. Yankees got one in the bottom of the eighth, but then the Angels scored seven in the top of the ninth inning, which included that Jared Walsh grand slam a Luis Renifo 2-RBI single, and a Taylor Ward RBI double. Both of these circumstances are absolutely remarkable. They happened on the same day. I think the Angels being down four runs coming into the ninth inning and winning by three runs in regulation is impressive, but what the Brewers did to the Cubs, trailing 7-0 after the top of the first inning and then leading by seven runs after the fourth inning, Just simply remarkable. You have to love it because it's an oddity that we, quite frankly, won't see very often. He's a pest. Uh, You know, that's kind of a classless move. If you're going to talk, talk to my face. You can go, you know, cross home plate and do all that. Just come to me. No, it's just annoying. We won the W's next to my name there in last place. So that soundbite that you just heard was Lucas Giolito after his start against the Minnesota Twins on Tuesday because he saw a video, and we all saw it on the Twins broadcast and maybe on the White Sox broadcast as well, of Josh Donaldson hitting a home run against Giolito and then walking into the dugout and yelling in the dugout, it's not sticky anymore, which is in reference to the sticky substance crackdown and believing that Giolito is not the same pitcher that he was with the sticky stuff. Now, we don't have any evidence of that, or at least we didn't think we did, but here's Josh Donaldson yesterday before their game against the White Sox talking about Lucas Giolito's numbers. All right, let's go look at his numbers. What do the numbers say, right? And what do we know about the sticky substance? What does it do? What does it help with? It helps with RPMs. It helps with spin rate. Well, guess what? Mr. Giolito, your fastball spin rate's down 200. Your curveball spin rate's down four, 500. Your slider's down 200. So, look, if we're going to talk about class, are we going to? Are we, what side are you going to choose? Are you are you going to speak, uh, take the side of someone who's playing the game fair, or are you going to take the side of somebody that was probably cheating before this happened? So it seems, and I haven't gone and looked it up because, quite frankly, I don't know how to look up a lot of the spin rates. They may not be available unless you have a Major League Baseball authorized statistics account. I'm not sure. But Donaldson seems to have done his research there. But the accusation that whose side you're going to take 
somebody that's playing the right way or somebody that's cheating, I mean, dude, you can't just come out and call Lucas Giolito a cheater. Like, that's uncalled for, in my opinion. And for you to say that without any evidence at all, okay, maybe your evidence is drop in spin rate. But maybe Lucas was gripping the ball differently. Maybe he was using something. But everybody was using something. This is also the guy that said that he has a whole list of everybody that was using spider tack, everybody that was doctoring the baseball to an extreme. I think Josh Donaldson went off the rails because he's upset that somebody called him out. And then, by the way, he decides to go off on former White Sox manager, former White Sox player, and current pre- and post-game analyst on NBC Sports Chicago, Ozzie Guillen, by deciding to insult his OPS, which, by the way, in the era where Ozzie Guillen played, OPS really wasn't a thing. Ozzie Guillen wasn't a power hitter. And then he also decided to go off on Ozzie Guillen for his infamous support of Fidel Castro back in the day, and that was when he was the manager of the Miami Marlins. He only lasted one year as the manager in Miami. Well, I want to play you this sound from Ozzie Guillen from the post-game show last night after he heard Donaldson's comments on him. Yes, I know he paid. You was better player than me, but you never will have one of this. I got three of them, puppy. Three. Three. And you be shit. Shame on yourself. Make all that money. The Minnesota team bring up you to win. And they get worse and worse with you. See you later. Good luck, brother. It's still making you money. And go, you know what? Your next career will be WWE. They'll be <laughs> waiting for you, puppy. That's pretty soon. Ozzy Guillen's mouth may have run him out of the dugout as a manager for good in baseball, but I love Ozzy Guillen on TV. He is so flipping entertaining. He is not afraid to call out anybody's BS, and he is not afraid to take a haymaker at any player. Yeah, Ozzy Guillen's got three World Series rings. Josh Donaldson has none. Ozzy's got one as a player, and he has two as a coach. And honestly, with his blonde hairstyle, I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Donaldson does end up in the WWE. But it's unfortunate that somebody like that, who has been as well-regarded of a player as he has been over the last decade, that he just wants to come out and throw haymakers wherever he sees possible. And like Giolito said in the first audio we played for you, the Twins... They're in last place. And guess what? They're not getting any better because of Mr. Donaldson. Here's an article from Sarah Langs on what it means to be in first place on July 1st. Since 1996, the first full season with at least one wild card, Langs writes, 96 of 144 eventual division champions held at least a share of their division lead entering July. That's 67% of division winners. Take note, that those current division leaders right now are the Boston Red Sox, the Chicago White Sox, the Houston Astros, the New York Mets, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the San Francisco Giants. The last full season in 2019, five of the six division leaders on July 1st went on to win the divisions. In the AL, it was the Yankees, the Twins, and the Astros. In the NL, it was the Braves and the Dodgers. But the Brewers and Cubs, who were tied for the NL Central lead entering July, didn't win it with the division being won by the St. Louis Cardinals. Since 1996, 16 of the 24 World Series winners, excluding last year, led their divisions entering July. 
which includes each of the last eight World Series champions prior to the 2019 Washington Nationals. So at this point in time, if you're leading, you have a very good chance of making the playoffs and winning your division. And right now, the Boston Red Sox and the San Francisco Giants, they're the only teams in Major League Baseball that have 50 wins. And to me, if you've led your division for three months, which, looking at the standings, it's been pretty much the Astros and the A's flip-flopping, the White Sox holding the lead in the AL Central, the Red Sox and the Rays flip-flopping, the Brewers and the Cubs flip-flopping, and the Giants have held the lead for the most part over the last two months, although they've been above 500 pretty much the whole season. We're starting to get a sense of what the playoff picture is going to look like at least for the last three months of the year. A lot can change in the next month, especially with the trade deadline. But right now, those six teams, they look pretty comfortable But I'll tell you one thing, and this leads into our next story, the Washington Nationals, they are nipping at the heels of the New York Mets. The way he's going. Oh my, I can't believe it. See you later. Come on. In his first season with the Washington Nationals, Kyle Schwarber is on a tear. Schwarber has 25 homers. 16 of them came in the month of June which is the most homers in a single month by a Nationals player. He has seven leadoff home runs, and he had a stretch leading into last night in which it got snapped, but he had a stretch of 12 homers in 10 games, and he had a stretch of 16 homers in 18 games, which is one of the best stretches since Barry Bonds had 16 homers in 18 games in 2001, and Sammy Sosa did the same thing in 1998. Kyle Schwarber may actually live up to the promise of hitting 40 home runs this year. He has been a godsend for the Washington Nationals at this point. And I just wanted to point out how good he has been because if the NL East race ends up getting tight, it is going to be because of guys like Kyle Schwarber who are making an impact that nobody saw coming. And the $10 million that the Nationals gave him was more than worth it at this point. As we wrap up today's show, here are my final four thoughts. The San Francisco Giants are still a good team, but they're suffering injuries all over the place. Evan Longoria has been out since mid-May, and Brandon Belt just went on the IL as well. The Giants the other night against the Dodgers went 0-13 with runners in scoring position in a one-run loss. They had the tying runs on base with nobody out in the ninth inning on Tuesday night, and they did not score, losing by a 3-1 final. San Francisco is doing this through their pitching, but their offense has really struggled. If the Giants are going to keep pace in the National League West and be able to stay ahead of the Dodgers and the Padres, the offense is going to have to get better. But a lot of teams are just quite simply running out of bodies. My next thought is in regards to the Chicago Cubs, who I believe are officially dead as of yesterday. You can't have a 7-0 lead and end up losing 15-7. The Cubs are out of players, and they're out of catchers. They have had to go through this year alone. Tony Walters, Jose Lobaton, P.J. Higgins, now they're back to Tony Walters. They had another backup catcher to start the year that I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but the Chicago Cubs 
are really regretting trading away Victor Caratini in the U Darvish deal. The Cubs' starting pitching has also not been great, and their bullpen is a bunch of no-names. And They've also had Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant out of the lineup due to some injuries. The Chicago Cubs, on July 1st, are six games back of the Milwaukee Brewers. They were three games back entering their series against the Brew Crew at the beginning of this week. The Cubs, they've got about another two to three weeks before they're probably going to have to sell. And it's unfortunate because you're going to see the end of an era with guys like either Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, maybe Wilson Contreras being shown the door. But in my opinion, the Chicago Cubs are showing us who they really are, and now they're probably going to show us a different model once guys like Craig Kimbrell, who I believe will be the first to go, get sent out the door. My penultimate thought today is in regards to a team that I have absolutely no idea what to make of them in the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a team that doesn't have great pitching depth. It's a team that added Nolan Arenado, who has been good but hasn't been great, and they're completely underperforming. The St. Louis Cardinals on July 1st are a game under 500, and at one point earlier in June, they were four games under 500. Without a doubt, one of the more disappointing teams in the National League, along with the Atlanta Braves. I don't know what the Cardinals are going to do at this point, but they may end up selling off some pieces, and this may be the last go-around for Yadier Molina, who's having a very solid year, but the problem with the St. Louis Cardinals at this point is that they're not built to win now, but you have a bunch of guys that you want to keep to be able to win next year and the following year. And my final thought, As we go into the weekend, or somewhat of the weekend, it is Thursday, so I guess the weekend could start early if you wanted it to. My final thought is that you're going to see a lot of trades happen in the next two weeks. A lot of teams, the Diamondbacks, the Orioles, the Rockies, the Pirates, are going to start selling off quickly. They want to be able to leverage their assets against everybody else in order to get back the best possible return. So a lot of teams are going to start saying, hey, hey, uh, hey, White Sox, you guys need a relief pitcher? Uh, Richard Rodriguez, we've got him here in Pittsburgh. You want to give up Yoelki Cespedes, which more than likely they won't, but you're going to start seeing a lot of these deals happen. Hey, uh, San Francisco Giants, uh, us in Baltimore here, We've got John Means available for you. You know John Means, guy of a no-hitter from earlier this year? Yeah. He may cost you Helio Ramos, but he is available. So I think you're going to start seeing a lot of leveraging. The Chicago White Sox were already linked to Eduardo Escobar, but that trade hasn't happened yet because of our good friend, Bob Nightingale, who said on Saturday that the trade was already in the works. It's Thursday, and Eduardo Escobar is still a member of the Arizona Diamondbacks. The curse of Bob is real. That's going to do it for this edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Athletes Unfiltered Podcast Network recorded at the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Make sure you write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. If you want to contact the show, email me, greg.maraz at yahoo.com. We'll be more than happy to interact with each and every one of you on the electronical mails. And I want to invite you to check out my new podcast, done with the SF Golf Collective, the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast. If you are indeed a golf fan, if you're a Chicago Bulls fan, check out the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls Podcast, 
which, like this one, isn't recorded as frequently as I want it to be. That's it. That's all. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.